that make things happen. So, Merry Christmas, everybody. We, we are not from a liturgical tradition, so sometimes we don't always know the differences between Advent, uh, Christmas time, and Epiphany in terms of its relation to the overall church calendar. We are entering into this season of Advent, and Advent is this time of anticipation. Um, and so at, a lot of people don't think of Advent beginning December. It actually begins the last Sunday in November, which is where we are. So I just want to make a few quick announcements. First of all, since we've come from the announcements and we're talking about Advent, this is the C3 Kids Advent calendar. Now, it is C3 Kids because uh, the family discipleship team, the team that ministers to uh, our C3 Kids, put this idea together. But I want to encourage everyone to pick one up. Or on ardmorecc.com, you can go there on your phone. There's a mobile-friendly version of the Advent calendar, so you can pick it up right off your phone and read through it before you even get out of the bed uh, in the morning if you want to. But I would encourage couples and families and individuals to pick one of these up. I, I, I suggested this morning because I, my family and I have experimented with lots of different Advent devotionals and calendars in the past. And, and some, you know, just like anything else, were more helpful than others. But this one here should be called an Advent calendar that you'll actually use. Because every day, this is it. You just flip it open each day, and there's a new theme and a new activity. It might be to, to do some act of compassion. It might be to simply to pray. Uh, you'll see as you look through the Advent calendar. But there's always something to do every day. And what I really love about it is it's centered on educating uh, folks about all the ways that you can get involved within our greater community in Ardmore to, to be uh, salt and light. And so it'll make you aware of those different organizations and if you're prompted to, to maybe volunteer or to participate in some way. But there's creative ideas. I really think that if you pick these up, especially if you have little ones, you are, will be creating a really powerful tradition for your family that your kids are gonna talk about for years to come. So uh, those are the Advent calendars. If, if uh, hard copy's not your thing, then you are welcome to um, uh, just look at it at the ardmorecc.com app. The second announcement I wanted to emphasize, is, and I'll emphasize it again before we leave in case someone, but I wanna do it now in case somebody ducks out early. Uh, is the soup kitchen this week. We, we, we really have lots of days that we still need extra help for that. In fact, David is even putting out a board to show a visual of where we've got help and where we need help. So if you would please consider taking a look at that board and going to the ardmorecc.com kiosk or looking it up on your, on your phone and seeing if you can come be part of the soup kitchen this week and serve, we would appreciate that. And just to make sure to clear up any confusion, it is hosted by the Salvation Army. So the soup kitchen is at the Salvation Army. So that's where you will show up to serve. Finally, last but not least, uh, and some may or may not be aware, but essentially at uh, Christ Community Church, um, the way we've structured the leadership and the government of our church is we have, are accountable to a board of elders, and it's a plurality of elders. I do not hold more power or influence or voting strength on that board than anyone else. I'm part of the board, but I am an equal part of that board. And I, for one, certainly as a pastor, but also growing up in churches that had a little bit different models that tended to um, center more on just a singular person, I have found this to be such a refreshing model and a healthy model for church government. So we are essentially a staff-led and elder-governed church. So every year we take requests for those who might be called to serve for a time on that elder board. We also allow people to uh, allow, that's a dumb word, you can't do that. Uh, we also encourage folks to contribute by nominating uh, individuals they think would be good for the board. What we're looking for by the term elder is someone who is mature in their faith and has a heart for service and accountability. And so if you look around our community and you see uh, an individual that you feel meets those qualifications, here's what you can do. You can take out a scrappy piece of paper, rip it off, write down a name, and drop it in the offering box on your way out. Or you could email Artie at artief at ardmorecc.com and submit a name. Or you can email or speak with one of the other elders who are serving on the current board. And then we will go through the process and the next steps 
of, uh, and, and, and uh, let you all know how the Lord led us this year. So if you want to participate in that by making a nomination, please feel free to do that in any of those ways. Okay. 1037. I did pretty good. Advent. I love this time of year. I am standing before you having survived successfully two Christmas tree decorating nights. And I, from Facebook, I can see most of you all have done the same thing or beat all of us to it. And some of you crazies were done two weeks ago. And, uh, but that's okay. This is a good season to get crazy about. When we're talking about Advent, Advent is the time leading up to Christmas because Advent emphasizes the anticipation of God with us. If, if you want to think about it, Advent is almost like the world's Exodus story because it reminds us of a time when a broken, lost world labored in anticipation for the rescuer to come. And this morning, we're going to talk about a central element of Advent, which is hope. And hope can operate in two different ways in our lives. In one way, we need hope when we are in despair and we can't really see a way forward. And what hope does, it, is, it empowers us to take the next step, to live the next day, to press through the next season because we have hopeful anticipation of, of, of that God can bring us through. Um, but the other thing that hope does on a more kind of more, what we might say, positive side of things is it fuels that anticipation. When, you, when your hope is not a guess, but your hope is an assurance, not necessarily on an outcome, but an assurance rooted in God's faithfulness, then hope, uh, hope fuels that sense of anticipation. And so we remember that there was a day that long lay the world and, 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 and the world labored and the world longed and, and what the scripture says and in the fullness of time, Christ came. So we are remembering that anticipation. The story begins, the story of Jesus begins with God with us. It's a phrase that we'll use a lot during Advent. It's a phrase that we will celebrate and it will, we will crescendo that celebration on, on, on uh, December 19th as we celebrate the literal coming of Jesus, God with us, dwelling on earth with us. The, ex the, the man who had the exact imprint of the nature and character of God walked the earth and we will celebrate that because the story begins with God with us but in anticipation and in Advent and as we were reflecting beyond just thinking about the the beauty of our traditions these traditions point to something these traditions are not an end themselves these traditions point to real life revelation that we're called to respond to so the story begins with God with us, but it ends with Christ in you. And the reason why we prioritize understanding the life of Christ, hopefully what you will see as you walk with the Lord through year 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 and 60, hopefully what you will see is this. We study the life of Christ to recognize the impulse of the divine within our own soul. Because the more familiar you are in studying the life of Christ, the more familiar you are with the life that is chosen to reside in you. And this is the revelation. I mean, it is the revelation that is celebrated in the New Testament, which is this. This is not an external religion of simply traditions and rituals. All of these things point to a substance, a reality, and that reality is this. A, a, a treasure, a, a secret kept hidden throughout the ages until the fullness of time and now it has been revealed. Christ lives in you and that is your hope of glory. And so we enter into this time of Advent remembering that it begins with God with us and ends with Christ in us. As we reflect on the birth of Christ as we look at the life of Christ, the scriptures make it clear that Jesus came to show the way. He came to empower the way. That's the only two things we're going to talk about tonight. He shows us the way, but more importantly, he empowers the way. And I think that that second one is the one that we kind of have a hard time actually living out in practical everyday living. Too many of us recognize that God showed us the way and now we are going to discipline ourselves to follow that way in a way that will glorify God. And so we white knuckle, we grit our teeth, 
and we strive very hard to be good. This is why I always love the Rich Mullins song, It's Hard. <laughs> Lord, it's hard to turn the other cheek. It's hard to bless when others curse you. It's hard, it's hard, it's hard to be like Jesus. And I very rarely disagree, disagree with uh, Uncle Rich on his lyrics, but I would tweak it just a little bit and say, not only is it hard, it is impossible unless Jesus is willing to live that life through us, through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus came not only to show us the way, but even more importantly, he came to empower the way because he has drawn near and accomplished his work of redemption, we have a solid foundation for an active hope. So if we think about hope, what is hope? Well, hope, one way that it could be defined is that hope is an anticipated future that changes and empowers us in the present. This is why Advent is so important. Hope is a sure anticipated future that empowers us and directs us right here in the present. So when it comes to Advent, when it comes to Christ, um, God with us and Christ in us, what does it mean to have hope? Well, our anticipated future in which we hope is this. Our anticipated future is an increase of the experience of Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's what it is. That is what Christian maturity is. Christian maturity is not becoming something that you are not, but going more deeply into the awareness of what God has made you to be in his redemption and living in accordance of the new redeemed nature that you have been given as a gift, as a work that God did, not that you have to strive to earn. So our anticipated future is the increase of this experience. And as we experience the increase of Christ in us, we will be instruments of redemption as Christ loves through us. This is how we learn to walk the earth as the pardon of God. Because it's Christ in us that's bringing the beauty of grace and mercy and forgiveness to bear on a world that so desperately needs it. So let's look at these two things. He, 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 Christ is God with us to show us the way and God with us to empower the way. First of all, there are two ideas that are central to the life of Jesus. And one of the, we have to balance out our theological approach. Of course, we want to reflect on the meaning of the death of Christ. We want to reflect upon the meaning of the resurrection of Christ. We want to reflect upon what it means for him to be sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. These are, these are ideas that humanity and Christians and specific, specifically have been pondering for over two millennia. And we want to continue to work on those things. But one of the problems that happens when a church only talks about what Jesus accomplished and not what Jesus calls us to do is that we create an imbalance. And so what we want to recognize is that Jesus is not someone whose teachings and way of life we ignore and just like at the end say, but we believe he rose from the dead, so now we're in. And maybe we are in. I'm not trying to have you question your salvation. But what I'm saying is the invitation is for an adventure that is well beyond that. It is the experience of not just honoring the life of Christ, but ex the experience of living the life of Christ and knowing there's a life in me that has already overcome anything that's going to come my way. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean I'm going to be delivered from hardship. It means that I have the assurance there's a life in me that is already overcome. And so when we look at Jesus, we want to say, what, not just what did he do, but what did he model for us? And the two essential realities that Jesus modeled, and I would suggest came to model the restoration of, is a lifestyle of dependence on God and union with God. Dependence on God and union with God. These are the things that got Jesus into most of his trouble. Because up until that point, and if you 
I won't, we don't have time to go into this, so I'm not going to nerd out and keep you here too long. But it is a fascinating discussion. You want to flip over this afternoon. You're not sure what you want to do. Take open the Bible. Flip open your Bible at. Read Romans 1 and 2. Because the revelation here is this. What Jesus came to do is set us free from the futility of external religion. And in Romans 1 and 2, he talks to how the Jewish experience is unique in the process of, of, of external religion and the law, what the law can do, what the law can't do. But then he also says, but you Gentiles are in the same place. You may not have the law, the Ten Commandments, but you have a law that's etched in your conscience. And so it either affirms or it condemns what you do. And what, what the revelation is this, is that Jesus models something that isn't about submitting to external religious standards, but, but discovering the life that you've been given. And in the words of Jesus, allowing rivers of liver, living water to flow out of your heart. That is the invitation. That is Christ in us. And so what Jesus models is that if we are going to be faithful to the faith of Christ, we have to learn how to live from a place of dependence on God and living from a revelation of our union with God. So let's look at this in a couple of places in the Gospels. Mark chapter 10. You can turn there. It's also in the notes. And I believe it'll be on the overhead. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. It's a little incident that happened when families were bringing their children to Jesus so that Jesus could bless the children. And the disciples, who had a little power and authority because they were his entourage, uh, they were rebuking the parents and the children saying, hey, don't you know who this man is? This is Jesus. He's got important work to do. It's inappropriate to be bringing your children to Jesus to be blessed by him. Verse 13, and they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, which means here is one of those cases. People say, it's so interesting when people talk about Jesus and, and, uh, and talk about uh, Jesus expressing anger. We're, what's the example everybody goes to? In the temple, yeah, in the temple there, we, we're told he goes in, he makes a whip, and he's slinging it, and he's turning tables over and so forth. But often what people miss is that's not the first place we see Jesus' anger. The first place you see Jesus' anger is when his people say, there's no time to stop and bless these vulnerable people. That's the first place that we see the anger of Jesus. This is when he becomes indignant. When his junior powers that be think it's a waste of time to bless the vulnerable. Jesus sees that and he reacts. It stirs up his anger and he becomes indignant. And it says, he said to them in verse 14, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belong, the, belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Now, this is really remarkable what Jesus is saying here. He's actually saying that our children are the ones that remind us what God wants from us. You know, the youngest... Uh, we, we, we had uh, lots of people, I think maybe 20 people over on Thursday. And among them was uh, uh, um, Katie Girl DiMicelli. And you've probably seen her running around here. And uh, she was the only child there. And so, you know, everyone enjoyed interacting with her and watching her. And, and it was interesting as we were sitting around talking, kind of having conversation among the adults um, some of us trying to not fall asleep rudely because of the carb coma that we were entering into. Not me, of course, because I'm the epitome of discipline, even on holidays. And, and as we do, we were interacting, we were watching Kate's, Caitlin's fascination with everything. And we just kind of all watched her, and it was just a reminder that, you know, they do depend on us, but they also save us. Because watching them reminds us 
of the beauty of what God really invites us into, which is this almost this return of the joyful anticipation and peace that the adults, Adam and Eve, would have known in the garden as they walked with God in the cool of the day. And so then the children then become our model for us. And so, and so, so what he says is, look, this is who the children, this is, this is who the kingdom belongs to. It is those who recognize their need and they have no shame in coming to Jesus with their need. The problem with adults is we think we're supposed to be independent or we feel ashamed of our weakness and our need and so we hide it. Thus, we cut off our power source to the spiritual life because it is the acknowledgement of need that begins to invite us into this little thing we call humility. And when we walk in humility, we learn to attract the heart and impulse of God. And so dependence becomes evident through need. Now, that may sound kind of poetic and romantic and when it rolls off the tongue, but I want you to take a moment and ask yourself and be realistic, what reveals your need? Now, this is not exhaustive. This is not taken from a scientific journal that has been peer-reviewed. This is just the arty far of experience. And to whatever extent, that connects with yours, great, let's talk about it. But what I have learned is that the way I have come to understand my need is through failure, through despair, and through weakness. Through failure, despair, and weakness. Merry Christmas, everyone. But see, those words, failure, despair, and weakness, these are the things that I spent the first half of my life trying to fortify myself against. And the Lord waited patiently for me to become exhausted. And it wasn't until I was exhausted in striving to do the work of God and the power of my own flesh that I had the breakdown that was my true salvation. And granted, I've been saved about seven other times in coming forward to altar calls. But it was later in life when I quit pretending that my life wasn't filled with despair, weakness, and failure. When those things finally overtook me and I did not have the capacity to continue being the Christian poser that I had learned to do for over nearly two decades of my life. And it allowed me to be invited into this space where I recognize you don't need me to serve you. I need you to serve me. Because without you, my despair, my weakness, and my failure overtakes me. So then that becomes the point of my spiritual enlightenment. You know, I think, and, and this is a personal opinion, this is not the opinion of Christ Community Church, uh, but I have, one of the ways that God transformed my life was when a broken, honest friend of mine said, I have had to start attending meetings at AA, and it's customary to have guests for support. Uh, you don't have to introduce yourself already, or you can introduce yourself and say you're here as support. But I think this one, the person was getting a birthday night chip for so many months of sobriety. And so there was a season where I spent a lot of time uh, at the AA meetings because uh, I got to know other people through that, and I got to hear other stories. I loved going to those meetings. I, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I've said this before. I, in my heart, I wished, man, I wish I could be part of a church home group that would be this open and honest and supportive of one another because it's just raw honesty in there. And I just want you to see that the, the first three steps of Alcohol Anonymous are these. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Number two, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Number three, we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Now, I know that for evangelicals, that last phrase creates a problem for us. And I'm sensitive to that and I understand. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that these are scripture, but what I want you to see is this program that's been around for quite some time now. And again, people will say, well, it doesn't help everybody. That's true but neither does church. But there are some folks that participate in it and they get better, they get healthier. What I want you to see is that here we have this organization that recognizes that the way we become healthier is we first have to admit our powerlessness. 
Now, yours may not be alcohol. Maybe it's just extreme self-centeredness. That's sometimes I'll read the steps and I'll say that. Lord, I realize and I admit that I am powerless over my self-centeredness. And that because of it, my life has become unmanageable. And I believe that you can restore me from self-centeredness to self-forgetfulness and restore peace and sanity to my life. And the God that I understand is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But I don't want to just worship you from a distance. I want to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to your care. That's why you'll never meet a successful AA story of someone who didn't work all the steps because it's basically a program of discipleship uh, in, in, in a particular way. But it's this recognition that if we want to go deep with God, then it begins with the acknowledgments of our need for God. And this is what Jesus modeled. He said this, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it. I don't do anything unless I see the Father doing it. And, and so he models this reality of living a life of real dependence of God, on God, not just lip service. So the first thing that Jesus shows us in his way is that we are called to live lives of acknowledged dependence upon God. And if we have a hard time understanding that, then we ask the Holy Spirit to bring revelation into our life and to open our eyes because you don't just need a revelation of grace, you have to have a revelation of sin because that's the revelation that brings to you the revelation of your need. So oftentimes, I don't ever argue with anybody anymore. I listen to where they are. Now, sometimes after I listen, my heart's broken and I'm like, there is a time that younger Artie would try to talk you into a different decision, but instead, I bless them and when they leave, I drop to my knees and I say, Holy Spirit, in your kindness, bring to them a revelation of sin so that they can truly enter, enter into a revelation of grace and mercy. And the Holy Spirit is really good at his job. And what I finally learned at 48 is he's a lot better at it than I am. And so, and so we begin with dependence upon God, but then here is the critical one. And this one, for some reason, growing up, I rarely heard about this. And as an adult, I'm like, I was gypped because this idea is like foundational to understanding the entirety of the New Testament. And it's this, he didn't just model dependence on God, but he modeled union with God. That is the revelation of Christ. That's why we are in awe of this season when we celebrate the, the incarnation, God with us, Jesus Christ, fully man and fully divine. This is a revelation of the bringing together, the mending of the divine and the human. What was once separate is now held together as one. And the New Testament celebrates this revelation. So, for instance, Jesus says in John 5, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Can you imagine if you had a revelation of God's love that was so real that you just assumed that the Father wants to show you what he's doing? What a beautiful way to live. But it's built upon the revelation that uh, the Father loves the Son. Father loves me. So maybe instead of saying, just only fix my children, fix my marriage, maybe I might say, God, I know you love me. And you see the consternation and the, and the confusion and the shame-riddled contradiction of, of, of loving these people with all my heart, but also being very frustrated from them and even hiding myself from them. I, I can't process this without your intervention. But maybe if I say, God, I know you love me, show me what you're doing. What, what are you doing in my wife's heart that I can actively bless? Help me. My, my parental fear makes it hard for me to discern the way you are using my children's unwise decisions 
as an instrument of their redemptive story. I can't hardly see it because I'm so fearful and I want to control and protect. Would you, loving Father, show me what you're doing and how can I bless what you're doing in the life of my children, the life of my friends, in the life of my community? This is what Jesus modeled. This is what he invites us into, a life of dependence where our actions are directed by the discernment we have out of this love relationship with the Father in which he just shows us what he's doing, and we participate. John 10, 30, he simply says this, the Father and I are one. Then he goes on to say in John 15, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Let's all do that together. Last phrase of that verse. Come on, read it with me. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, if you say to yourself, I don't know, I feel like I do a lot apart from Christ. Maybe start there. (laughs) Maybe start digging a little bit into the reality of your spiritual health. Maybe start asking yourself, is this spiritual health or is it kind of a spiritual deception? Because what Jesus talks about here, look, if we're gonna really appreciate this and live it, can we all just admit that sounds really weird? Like that's not really the main thing we lead with. Not this whole idea of union with God and abiding in Jesus and this mystical experience of the life of the divine flowing out of you and bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. That's not the language I was raised with. In fact, I'll be honest, language about celebrating the divine that's been placed within us as humans was actually, we were afraid to talk about that. And in some circles, I was told it was new age and demonic. And I just believed it and went with it. Yeah, I'm gonna be a piece of sinner all my life uh, that Jesus is gonna love in spite of myself but uh, I'm gonna be striving all my life to try to be better and try to keep climbing this moral mountain. I didn't understand the gospel, which is God gives to you what he demands of you. Oh, that life is way different. That life is, is upside down to the other pursuit. And so Jesus modeled this. This is what I'm calling you to live. I, I don't care. The emphasis here isn't on your doctrinal beliefs or theology. The emphasis is, are you living under a, in a conscious awareness that you are abiding in Christ? He is abiding in you, that the life that you offer the world doesn't originate with you, but rather into the vine that you've been grafted into. And the life of that vine is what's coursing through your veins. And the life of that vine manifest, manifested through you is your hope for the world in your generation. And every generation has to rise up to that revelation and be willing to have the courage to live by it, regardless of what the world or religion might say to resist it. The call of the follower of Jesus is not primarily to connect with an ideology, but to connect to a person, a living person, and that person is the living Christ. That's what it means to live out the faith of uh, New Testament revealed Christianity. St. Augustine said this though, because again, like Rich said, it's hard to be like Jesus. And then I adjusted it to it's impossible to be like Jesus unless Jesus is Jesus in you and through you. Then it's a completely different experience altogether. St. Augustine is one of those great thinkers of Western philosophy and theology. And we have a lot to owe him, a lot of great things that came out of his thinking. We also have a lot to discern about his thinking and say, well, he wasn't Jesus and it means that he can make mistakes. And so you're allowed to disagree with Augustine. But what, one of the points that I find very much agreement with Augustine is when he wrote this. My entire hope 
is exclusively in your very great mercy. Grant what you command and command what you will. You see, there is no intimidation to facing what God commands if we understand that in his mercy, he gives to us what he commands. So he is the one that empowers the obedience that he calls us into. And so we recognize, oh, this actually ultimately was not about whether or not we were right, making right and wrong moral choices. This is about whether or not we were recognizing the invitation to walk with God on the earth and simply allow the spirit to lead us in the choices that we are making. So finally, we'll end with this revelation. Jesus came to show us the way and what he models is the way of a lifestyle of dependence on God and union with God. But as I said in the beginning, the revelation of the New Testament is that, because if we stop there, all we have is another religion. We've got, you know, just this outgrowth of Judaism started as a cult, and now it's just kind of a new organized religion that we call Christianity if we stop there. But what we have to understand is the new covenant is about the, the unnecessity of any mediated religion. That is what we're being freed from. Mediated religion was like a tutor to like, it was, it, was like a, it was like a guardian to kind of keep us in place until the revelation of Christ. But upon the revelation of Christ, that tutor is no longer needed because now we have the real, we have the substance. And, and, and if you're wondering about that, go study the book of Galatians. Paul goes into quite a bit of detail about that reality. So, so Jesus did not come to establish a new religion. That, that's what we've done with it. That's what we did. That is not what you'll see in the teaching emphasis of Jesus. No, he came to show us a completely different way where there's no need for mediated religion because Jesus, your access to the divine is direct. So he celebrates, Paul celebrates in Colossians, the revelation of the New Testament. Verse 24, chapter one, I am glad when I suffer for you in my body for I am participating in the sufferings of Christ and continue for his body, the church. God has given me the responsibility of serving his church. How? By proclaiming his, look at this, notice the word he uses, entire message. Not saying that religious direction and theological education, not saying that's wrong, unnecessary, but it's incomplete. That's not the entire message. So proclaiming his entire message to you. And he happens to be writing to Gentiles. This message was kept secret. Look at this. Look at this. this is, isn't this fascinating? This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past. But now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Do you see? It's fine that we enter the initiation of this faith through saying a sinner's prayer or through going through catechism or through going through baptism. I don't want to argue those things. However, Whatever God used to bring you into awareness of his love, I celebrate with you with all my heart. But I just want us to see that it was never about being called to participate in a new ideological belief system that we then submit ourselves to and try to conform to and then condemn the people that doesn't. That's not it. That's not the, that's not the rescue that Jesus put in place. The rescue is this great mysterious gift. I'm not giving you a religion. I'm giving you myself. I'm bringing you back to that beautiful garden that I created you in the, for you in the first place. And when I said, it was very good. You walk with me. I give you my life. Christ lives in you. So that's the thing. When churches and religions and denominations get into fights and argue about, you know, how different should a person's life be after they become a Christian. 
I don't know. I mean, churches, that was the thing that we talked about all the time, you know. Uh, there were some categories where, mm, well, I think they watch soap operas still, and I think, that I, I think I heard them listen to Quiet Riot, and, uh, you know, they say a few curse words, and so they've got some, you know, they, they've got some ways to go uh, in their uh, growth. But then there were these categories of things that we didn't do, and those people were just out. But what we didn't celebrate within everyone is we don't need to talk about how much our lives can change because here's the fact of the matter is this. If I am living from the revelation of Christ in me, the hope of glory, it is evident. And if I'm not, it is evident. And it's not about condemning behavior. It's about where are you? Do you get up filled with the life and love and mercy of God and his joy, the primary characteristic and tone of your life? Or does joy just insert itself every once in a while when the stars align and the circumstances are just what you want? Because if that's the case, that's not the joy that Jesus is offering you. This is a joy. This is a, this is a Christ in me that transforms my life and turns it upside down. So, as we get ready to close, how do we respond? Well, a few practical things. Number one, learn to behold the Lord in contemplative prayer. We talked about contemplative prayer a few weeks ago. Uh, we encouraged a book that you can pick up. And if you want more reading, by all means, email me, and I would be happy because the, the, uh, tr- the contemplative tradition radically transformed, I would say, kept me in the faith. If I hadn't discovered that, I don't know if I could have held on to the faith that I had cultivated when I was younger. The contemplative tradition helped me do that. So learn to behold the Lord in contemplative prayer. Seek revelation. You remember the attitude of uh, Jacob before he was given his new name and he wrestles with the angel and he says that kind of arrogant phrase, I will not let you go until you bless me. But it's not proclaimed as arrogance in the, in the narrative. In fact, God rewards that kind of aggressive pursuit of the blessing of God. And so as for us as well, we, we, we give ourselves over to seeking revelation in reading the scripture. I gain knowledge in allowing the scripture to read me. I gain wisdom. And then finally, the one I want you to act on today. I encourage you to act on. Man, I'm being awfully authoritative this morning, aren't I? I will allow this. I will not allow that. I will demand that you do this today with your afternoon. So I want you to think about Scripture. Reading Scripture and allowing Scripture to read you and then listening to what the Spirit says. There are two definitions of Scripture in the dictionary. First one is the one that we are primarily uh, referencing. It's the sacred writings of the Old or New Testaments, or both together. The sacred writings of the, okay. Uh, please, if you got tired, nodded off, punch your partner, wake up, because I want to save us a lot of, heart, lot of heartache. What I'm about to say is not in reference to definition number one. So I am not about to suggest that it, as much as I like Derek Elliott, that I think that he should be commissioned to write scripture for the people of God that we add to an addendum in Revelation. Not suggesting that at all. Not talking about definition number one. But look at definition number two. Often lowercase, and I'm talking about lowercase scripture, any writing or book, especially when of a sacred or a religious nature. Now, what I'm about to say may be weird to you and it may not be your thing. Man, I would really encourage you to try it because this has transformed my life. I've always enjoyed writing in journals and that sort of thing and recording things, but I tried something different about nine months ago, and I got a special journal, a special pen, and it's set aside. I don't write in it all the time, but whenever it hits me, whenever the Spirit decides to speak to me, to interact through the reading of Scripture or through the, 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 the uh, meditation on the Lord's beauty and contemplative prayer, if the Spirit leads me... Now, look, there's no guarantee. I don't know how all this works. I'm pretty sure plenty of times the Lord is speaking to me, but I'm sure I can also get psychologically, psychologically confused and it might be in my emotions or whatever. But here's the thing. I am way more confident in the Spirit's ability to lead me than I am in the enemy's ability to deceive me. And that's an enormous switch for me because before I spent most of my life more confident in the power of the enemy 
than in the power and mercy of God. But thank God I've been delivered from that and it's in my, I'm in a different place. I believe I'm gonna be deceived. The kindness of God will let me know. So when the Lord speaks, I write it down in this one notebook. And I don't even say, thus saith the Lord. I say, kind of felt prompted with this. I think maybe the Spirit's saying this. That journal is completely different. I can look at my other journals and see why I've been in this journey of joy and depression and all these other challenges. But that journal is what I refer to as my scripture book. My, Artie's, this is my private record of my ongoing growth in my love relationship with God. And I hope that one day it's beneficial to my children and grandchildren who might come across it one day. But I will also make sure they understand this isn't the Holy Bible, but it's imperative for me that I follow this because this is what the Spirit is saying to me. Don't follow this, but what is the Spirit saying to you? That is what you have to learn how to follow. That's what you have to respond to. So in that spirit, I would say to you this week, consider recording your scripture, living your scripture, and sharing your scripture. Because that is the revelations from which your ministry is going to blossom. Now again, not equal to New Testaments, your journal, but here's the thing. If the Spirit's calling you to do it, it is imperative that you obey. That does have authority on it. But it's the authority that offers the mercy to transform your life. Because what God calls you to in his mercy, he also gives. Would you all stand with me? On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. He poured the wine, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of sins, take and drink in remembrance of me. If you're new with us and you're comfortable taking communion, you are welcome to do so. If for any reason that makes you uncomfortable, you're welcome to just either remain in your seat or you can walk through the line and not take the elements. But we'll start with the back. We'll make lines down the outside aisle and come through and receive the elements. Jesus. 
Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Jesus, bring new wine out of me. Cause where there is new wine, there is new power, and there is new freedom, and the kingdom is here. I lay down my old flames to carry your new fire today. new freedom and the feeling is here I lay down my old flame to carry your new fire again yeah. oh make me a vessel and make me an offering make me whatever you want me to worship and contemplate at the end of this message. This is what I'm saying right here, is that Jesus comes to bring the new wine, and the new wine is this. I'm going to make my home in you and empower you to do everything I call you to do. You are a miracle because God has chosen to make his home in you. The trick for you is not to become a better person but to live like that is true. Compassion and community are two of our values. So the soup kitchen, we get to offer compassion to the community, but we get to do it as a community together. And so if you would, take a look at your schedules, take a look at the need, and either sign up at the ardmorecc.com kiosk or ardmorecc.com on your phone. God bless you. Merry Christmas, everybody, and I pray that this season your life will be transformed by a deeper revelation of Christ in you.